0: Hello and welcome to the Autism and Employment podcast series. Our names are Alex and Martin. In today's episode, we are going to discuss different types of jobs for adults with autism, some that are seen as suitable by professionals and some that aren't seen as suitable by professionals. We will be interviewing PJ, a paramedic from the United States, and Emily, a teacher from England.
1: Temple Grandin animal behaviourist and autism spokesperson says, she herself struggles with multitasking and I quote, I have great difficulty with tasks that put high demands on short-term working memory. I cannot handle multiple tasks at the same time. In her academic paper, choosing the right job for people with autism or Asperger's syndrome, published in 1999, She lists the best and worst jobs for adults with autism. Bad jobs for people with high-functioning autism or Asperger's syndrome are jobs that require high demands on short-term working memory.
0: Cashier. Making change quickly puts too much demand on short-term working memory. Short-order cook. Have to keep track of many orders and cook many different things at the same time. Waitress. Waitress especially difficult if you have to keep track of many different tables. Casino dealer, too many things to keep track of. Taxi dispatcher, too many things to keep track of.
1: Taking oral dictation, difficult due to auditory processing problems. Airline ticket agent, deal with angry people when flights are canceled. Future market trader, totally impossible air traffic controller, information overload and stress, receptionist and telephone operator would have problems when the switchboard gets busy.
0: Temple says in her paper, and I quote, it is important that high functioning autistics and Asperger syndrome people pick a college major in an area where they can get jobs. Computer science is a good choice because it is very likely that many of the best programmers have either Asperger's syndrome or some of its traits. Other good majors are accounting, engineering, library science and arts with an emphasis on commercial art and drafting.
1: Majors in history, political science, business, English or pure math should be avoided. However, one could major in library science with a minor in history but the library science degree makes it easier to get a good job," end quote. Temple co-wrote a book with private business consultant, Kate Duffy, Developing Talents, Careers for Individuals with Asperger's Syndrome and High-Functioning Autism, first published in 2004. Kate speaks about the benefits of doing freelance work, and I quote, you can organize your own structure and environment the way it best suits you so as to be more successful. Freelance freelance work also makes it easier to avoid office politics." End quote.
0: The Mighty.com published an article from a nurse called Jackie, who has autism. She discusses the difficulties she faces working as a nurse, but she also discusses her strengths. She says about her difficulties, and I quote, healthcare, an already difficult field to work in, can be intensely overwhelming profession, when you add sensory triggers, neurodiversity, and systemic and interpersonal ableism. Social situations are difficult for me. I've gotten better at reading other people and adjusting my language when speaking to patients. Making phone calls to patients regarding their health can be difficult because there's no visual to go along with the intonation of voice. My general effects tends to be either flat or exaggerated with rarely any middle ground. Patients prefer exaggerated, and it's exhausting by the end of a workday.
1: Jackie says about her strengths, I am fiercely and exhaustingly empathetic. I honestly want nothing more than to help my patients. If I don't understand or don't know how to do do something, I ask an annoying amount of questions until I'm sure that I can do it safely. I am hyper aware of cross-contamination and, I, and I'm a bit obsessive with hand washing. I have an excellent memory and a desire to keep learning." End quote.
0: Sergeant Adam O'Lylan also faces difficulty in his role as a policeman, and he admitted in a BBC article dated the 1st of April 2018, his instinct is to see the law as black and white, even down to small things that he admits he has to tell himself to let that kind of stuff go. Things such as stopping in a yellow box, failure to indicate properly, or appearing to go above the speed limit, and I quote, when I first started I'd stop people for all these kinds of things all the time, and whoever was crude with me would get grumpy.
1: 17 years of service have allowed him to take a broader view, and at 39 he was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum, which he says was a revelation. Do we do things that might not be strictly legal all the time? Probably. He was promoted to a position where he spends more time at his desk rather than being on the beat. I found myself in a job that very much fits with what I'm good at, based on my own peculiarities, he says. As a result, he feels more relaxed and able to focus on the things he excels at. I can concentrate for extended periods of time, he says, and I can find intel on our computer system much quicker than anyone else can. My mind works in a way that helps me drag that information out. And we try to find where burglary hotspots are. I find that really easy as well.
0: I'd like to welcome our first guest, PJ. Hi, PJ. Thanks so much for being on today's episode. How are you today?
2: I'm really good. Thank you for having me
0: you're very welcome. So I'm going to start asking the questions. Are you ready? How old were you when you decided that you wanted to become a paramedic?
2: Well I'm 30 now and uh, I think I decided I wanted to be a paramedic at about 25.
0: <laughs> uh, so five years ago?
2: Yeah this was this was never um, something I it was not a career I pictured for myself. Uh, I didn't honestly I didn't know it was an option what was your college experience like so um as we discussed a little bit before recording mm-hmm. um uh, paramedicine and and uh emergency medical services in general in the united states are treated more as a like a vocation or a uh a technical education mm-hmm. um, so they don't run through our traditional university systems mm-hmm. um the classes are very intensive mm-hmm. um but they're run through like private organizations. Okay. There are some community colleges that do offer them, private organization. Um, and so I went to school for two and a half years for paramedicine, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, intense. As some, I, you know, I've been to a traditional college system. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a completely different experience as an adult learner um, in a system designed for adult learning. Mm -hmm. It was way different than when I was in college. Um, But I mean, I'm talking, I went to school, ended up being like 40 hours a week for the better part of a year and a half in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was a clinical portion of internship at a hospital, Mm -hmm. which was another 40 hours. Uh, Some of it overlapped with our classroom portion and some was after. And then following that internship, I did an externship uh, on an ambulance uh, doing actual practice. Mm -hmm. And that took another uh, like 40 hours a week for another few months. So it it ended up being about a two and a half year long process. In some ways I was really impressed and really happy with the focus on adult education. But at the same time, um, the people who are teaching you and the way the schools are run is not by anybody with a particular um, education in education. Mm-hmm. So uh, that put up some some roadblocks and barriers, I think, for people who have uh, different learning styles and and different neurodiversities, because is, is, you know, simply put, people didn't know or don't know different ways to teach.
0: Of course, definitely. So you didn't have any like support at you at college then for your needs.
2: Uh, no. So I'm self-diagnosed with autism. Okay. And was diagnosed with with ADHD. I. Uh, in my early twenties, mm-hmm. uh, so I've never had any sort of um, assistance or adaptation in any of my education.
0: I, in the UK, I think you can get any kind of like assistance if you're in full-time education. So I think that's where like the United States and the United Kingdom like are quite different when it comes to education and support.
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a you know the, the another big barricade to that is do you have the money to get the diagnosis?
0: yeah definitely Um,
2: which you know with autism like adhd you know i'm an adult female my presentation is different than what most general practitioners are taught to look for which is you know stereotypical behaviors that are found in you know adolescent and young boys yeah Uh, and because i wasn't a disturbance i wasn't diagnosed and then as an adult um i i guess i i had my own issues with like well i made it this far without any assistance why do i need help yeah of course. Uh, so in terms of my uh, paramedic education i did you know i was close with my program director and he was aware that i had adhd and i kind of explained to him i was like listen i'm going to be in class every day i'm going to listen to the lectures but i gotta self-pace myself i'm i'm gonna go faster and it's just it's if you want me to do well you just got to let me do my thing of course and you know to his to you know to, to his credit he was very understanding and uh, allowed me to kind of give myself what i needed mm-hmm. in terms of because that was really my biggest struggle always was pacing as i as i felt like i was constantly like hitting a roadblock like waiting yeah okay is, every, is everybody where we're at you know mm-hmm. so that to at least, you know, adult to adult, be able to have that conversation with him and advocate for for what I needed, even if it was no official adjustment, I found to be really helpful.
0: Well, that's good then. You you had that support at good at the pace that you needed. Mm-hmm. So some like lecturers would just be like, "No, we go at the pace that's like good for the whole class."
2: Yeah, and I mean there was a little bit of that because mm-hmm. um, we had that was my program director, so he you know he was just in charge of the overarching responsibilities. Yeah. Some of my individual instructors were less understanding than others mm-hmm. um, but I always felt like if I can prove to them with competency that what I'm doing is working yeah. then what do they really have to say.
0: What are your thoughts on Temple Grandin's belief that there are good and bad careers for people with autism? Do you believe her thoughts and ideas are outdated and stereotypical or do you agree that there are suitable and non-suitable careers for some adults with autism?
2: I, I kind of struggle with this one because I, I think I understand her point mm-hmm. um, or at least what I interpret her to point to be, which is that, and I do agree that I think it is important that um, people in, in general, uh, not just neurodivergent folks, but but people in general, yeah, um, if you're going to pay for an education, and you should receive a benefit, mm-hmm. which should be a job. Um, that said, I don't think... That there are specific job fields or job related tasks that, you know, big umbrella term autistics are capable for more so than others. Um, I think that neurodivergence and autism, in specific, are far more in their expression in individuals than, you know, people in 1999, when this uh, article was, pap- was published, yes. really had an understanding for. It. Um, that said, from my understanding, Temple Grandon has a very stereotypical presentation for her autism. Yeah. And perhaps it works for her. For myself, I would struggle in many of the fields traditionally considered quote unquote good for people with autism. Yeah. So I do think that there's a level of outdatedness and, and stereotyping to her idea. I wonder, you know, what is it, 20, 21 years later, if she would have a a different opinion now. Um, but I, I do think that that's a, a kind of mentality that we have to work away from.
0: Of course, I agree. Like, you know, research has developed in the last 21 years, and she hasn't like updated this paper to say like whether she agrees and disagrees with her theory. Right. And like, even in the media, like, there's still like a lot of stereotypes when it comes to like people with autism having like, you know, stem subjects kind of jobs
2: absolutely um and i think too like i'm not sure about the communities that you're a part of but the ones that i'm a part of i see a lot of difficulty in job placement for neuro- neurodivergent folk and i i do heed that call like i i understand that the uh, uh struggle for people with autism myself included um but i don't think that that has anything to do with the types of jobs, more with the structure in which we're asked to apply for them. You know, I don't think that a lot of the jobs that I've held in the past, because you know, I've worked full-time since I was 16 years old, or, you know, just about, I don't think a lot of the jobs I've had in the past would ever be considered jobs that were quote-unquote suitable for autistic people, mm-hmm. but a lot of them suited me. Definitely. You know, um, uh, I said before I was self-diagnosed and and honestly that's a a struggle for myself in terms of validity and Mm -hmm. but it also changes my job practice because I don't have protection based on on you know how I present.
0: Although every person with autism is different and each person has their own unique gifts and skill sets issues with multitasking can be common for some adults with autism due to hyper focusing on one task at a time. Having difficulties working in a fast-paced and high-pressure environment can be anxiety-inducing for some people with autism. With you working as a paramedic, multitasking, and being able to work in high, um, in high-pressure and fast-paced environments must be very common in your job and is part of your skill set. So, do you think more research needs to be conducted into people with your skill set and strengths that are similar to yours?
2: Absolutely. I think it's interesting because I, I was just rereading that question as you were speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of my job, I suck at multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at home, doing anything else, I, I can't multitask. But um, you know, emergency medicine has this phenomenal blend of hyper focus mm-hmm. and multitasking that allows me to really perform at my best. Mm-hmm. So, uh while it does seem like multitasking to a lot of people because yes you have you know a variant number of things that you're trying to accomplish on a single patient you know who in some cases is totally fine and in other cases you know might be trying to die mm-hmm. and when you're when but when when you break it down and at least the way my brain works i literally only need to focus on the thing in front of me okay it is just the one task that i'm doing right that second and then the next task and the next task. And so I take this this idea of this huge picture of, of multitasking and break it down into singular things that my hyper-focus benefits me in. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been a procrastinator. I've always done better under pressure, which is not a typical presentation of, of an autistic person. Definitely
0: um, not. Yeah, definitely not.
2: But I also know that I'm not the only autistic who has this skill set. And I think that uh, part of that has to do with um, the fact that I was and still am clinically undiagnosed. Um, I'm female, socialized female, and did well at school for a long time. So I was forced through masking to become really good at a lot of things that probably aren't in my natural skill set, but I've become very good at And I think that that's quite typical, a lot of uh, older female autistic experience.
0: Honestly. I think that, yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think that there definitely needs to be a lot more research, you know, um, a lot of the groups that I'm part of that I, you know, online that I speak to, um, that's a, a common experience that we all have is that, you know, considered atypical presentations, but in reality, I feel like there are more atypical presentations than typical, and I think that um, there's a lot of harmful research and stereotyping done early into um, this idea of, you know, autism epidemic that happened in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, and continuing to the 2000s. And we're finally at a place scientifically and socially where we can move away from the idea that this is something negative and bad, yeah. and really move towards a more you know holistic picture of neurodivergence and uh, beneficial skill sets. And agree. I think that as a lot of people our age get older, we'll be able to influence that research better.
0: Definitely. So how do you think, like, we can, like, progress with this research? Like, what do you think the first step is when it comes to your skill set?
2: Honestly, doing stuff like this, reach, you know, having a an, an interview recorded on a podcast uh, yeah. with a stranger is not my idea of comfortable, as I'm sure interviewing strangers is not comfortable for you. Or perhaps it is, I don't know. Um, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> but I, I think... You know s- those of us who are capable and and have the you know quote-unquote spoons or the emotional availability to do the labor of yeah. stepping outside our comfort zone and speaking and forcing and educating this kind of move movement away from diagnosis and treatment to understanding and appreciation mm-hmm. is really the first step to a pushing that research forward you know it's it's reaching out to you know my kids autistic moms who you know don't understand the damaging effects that they're having or you know speaking to co-workers you know who don't know you're autistic yeah um and kind of giving them a different perspective and face you know i in paramedic school i did um major papers on neurodiversity and treatment in uh, EMS because that wasn't something I learned and so I was you know I was wondering and I, and I asked my instructors I said listen how come we're not learning more about neurodivergence and, and they're like what are you talking about neurodivergence and I was like okay I need to write this paper you know um, I think that's really the first couple of steps that we need to do is just those of us who can be open and have those discussions and educate I
0: agree, education is like the way forward. And yeah, I think it's similar um, in the UK as well, like our medical system, like unless you're specialized in autism, a lot of medical professionals don't understand it. And uh, there's a lot of stereotypes as well. And like when you say you've got autism, they think you just have like social skill difficulties or you've just got depression and anxiety when it affects people in so many
2: different ways. Yeah, and I I mean, in the United States, I'm not sure about how the process is for you, but like the diagnosis process as an adult in the United States is next to impossible um, and honestly carries some real um, risks to have that on your medical record, which is why I've chosen not to pursue an official diagnosis. You know, the first is the, is the cost barrier. Yeah. I have health insurance through my employer. Mm. It would still cost me $1,200 for a basic assessment panel.
0: $1,200? Yeah. That that is so much money.
2: And then on top of that, um, because our country is run on the idea of like states rights, Mm -hmm. so individual states have uh, different laws and regulations within reason, Mm -hmm. uh, an official diagnosis of autism can prevent somebody from being considered for uh, foster or adoption in the future.
0: Are you serious?
2: Because it's considered uh, like a disability.
0: I'm oh like that has made me so, so angry.
2: Yeah I was pretty lib- I you know I've come to this conclusion about my autism pretty recently my partner and I had discussed you know okay cool like we're gonna pursue a, a, a diagnosis because I do really well at my job but some of the uh, interactions that I have to do with other professionals can be um, I don't have the most patience for.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think a lot of that does surround the way that my brain functions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a very hard time with people who are just not doing their job kind of stuff. Yeah. Um and it's it has caused some issues where, mm-hmm. you know, I've had discussions with one of my superiors where he's like, you know, you've got to change your attitude. And I'm like it's not my attitude. It's it's literally my brain. Of course. It's it's how my brain functions. So I really wanted this diagnosis to kind of protect me at my job. Mm -hmm. um and then the more research we did we realized okay it's twelve hundred dollars we'll save up we'll save up and i did more research it's like wait this means i could potentially never be able to adopt you know as as a queer woman in the united states that's that's a major route to having a family for me and to have something as simple as my neurodiversity which makes me no less capable to be a parent and in some ways i believe makes me a better candidate for other neurodivergent children yeah definitely to be considered a roadblock was so discouraging.
0: That is so upsetting.
2: So, you know, and that's, that's one of the things I think that you know, I've read a lot about is struggling with self-diagnosis. But, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I've taken every major clinical assessment available. That would The same, the same assessments that would be, you know, handed to me by a, a clinician. Mm-hmm. I've done. So my diagnosis is valid to me. Okay. But, And, you know, I don't know. I just, it's one of those, it's one of those things. It's just, uh, I think there's just a lot of work to be done on uh, people realizing that neurodivergence is everywhere. And it doesn't just mean autism, but it does include autism.
0: It does. I really, really hope that law changes in the United States that people with autism might not be able to adopt or foster because that's,
2: I can't believe that's allowed. Oh yeah, you would think for you know a country that has such a desperate uh, need for competent and capable adoptive and foster parents that we'd we'd have a more generous system, but we don't. Okay.
0: Um, well, we we've got Biden now, so hopefully he reverses that law. Let's hope. Oh, thank you. <laughs> like the United Kingdom isn't perfect, but like yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, we've come to the end of my questions, I think. Thanks. Okay. so Thanks so much, PJ. Like, it was a really, really good conversation. And I, I love learning more about like, the United like States and stuff.
2: Yeah, this was a, a very enlightening conversation for me as well. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All uh,
1: right. Have, okay. have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So let's start with a little background for those who don't know you. So when did you decide that you wanted to become a teacher?
3: To be honest with you it was a really long journey um, to find out what I kind of really wanted to do because after my masters um, I was really kind of keen to work in communications as uh, my MA was in political communications. So I worked um, for a charity actually called Mentor UK Um, lobbying Parliament on the Psychoactive Substance Act, and um, I did lots of work, outreach work in schools, and it was something that I really enjoyed actually um, communicating with young people. Um, So that kind of led me then to really explore the option of working um, in a school particularly because I found it really difficult working in an office. I'm quite a person that is quite active. So I I like to have lots of kind of interaction with people. Um, uh, A school day has lots of routine. So the day often goes really quick. Um, and then yeah I ended up working in a variety of schools I've been working in schools for four years now um, supporting students on ASD units Um, I've worked with visually impaired students I've worked with students with emotional behavioral difficulties and I really really enjoyed um, building a relationship with them and trying to watch them grow and that really came out of the fact because I have autism, um, there's that kind of real strong passion to support other students so that they can fulfill their own potential. I think that was the deciding factor.
1: Yes, it's, it's always nice to, to, to want to help others who are in the same uh, kind of position that you are in, isn't it?
3: Yeah I think it's about trying to use your diagnosis for a positive thing you know I mean sometimes it's really difficult I mean I struggled when I was younger and got diagnosed to kind of come to terms with the fact that I was different especially because you know you're high function so you kind of you you're able to understand that you're different and you're trying to fit into society but at the same time it can be quite a struggle so once I kind of Initially got over that. Um, I found it like quite empowering actually to be autistic. That it's something really unique about me, and that I need to start using it for a positive thing.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I-, I I hear you. I-, I I sort of felt exactly the same way when I kind of denied it for years, and then one day I, I just accepted it and decided to use it to. You know, yeah. Think- Stop running away from it, really.
3: Exactly. And I think that's the hardest bit about the diagnosis, isn't it? Kind of that acceptance of yourself. But I suppose it's a journey that probably every human being has to an extent, you know?
1: Yes, indeed. What kind of skills would someone who is looking to go into the profession need in order to teach?
3: Hmm, Yeah, um, I think uh, a passion first for education. So um, I love learning and when you're teaching, you have to learn the curriculum. There's so much to learn that in a sense, it's a learning journey in itself. So I think that's the first thing. I think um, secondly, to have uh, an interest in taking a person-centered approach. So you've got to be a person who likes building relationships with other people. I think you have to be quite flexible in your approach too because not every teaching strategy suits um, every child. And, um, you know, sometimes you might be put on your feet and having to take over other people's lessons and be pushed out of your comfort zone. I think also um, you need to be very understanding. Um, There are many children within a class with SCN issues or who um, have other social issues um, at play in the background. So you have to be open to want to learn about disability, open to kind of want to maybe think about how to support those students the best that you possibly can.
1: Absolutely, yeah, as you say, it's the passion to do it and the willing to help others as well. That's great, yeah. What kind of skills would you need to be on the post-19 advisory board?
3: Um, I, uh, yeah, I really um, have enjoyed my experience at Beyond Autism on the advisory board. It's so interesting because there's such a wealth of knowledge um, from people who are all, from all different walks of life and they have a clear passion for supporting people with autism. Um, and, you know, I think that's the first thing, to be passionate about a cause um, and also to want to make improvements so that you know that you can give people with autism the best possible future. And I think that's really done at uh, the Beyond Autism Post-19 service is everybody does including the staff you know the amount of um, hard work they put into the students is really quite impressive and I'm very um, proud to be part of the beyond 19 advisory board and to actually I'm learning a lot myself actually which is really um, refreshing I'm learning from very experienced people so I do enjoy that
1: that's really great that's 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 absolutely fantastic the end of my questions Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to mention or anything that you felt that we could talk about
3: so i think um education is a perfect job for people with autism because a the day is really structured actually um which works really well because often we like structure i also think there's term time so you know that you'll be working for six weeks at a time so you uh everything within education sector is really structured you know when marking is going to fall you know when exams are going to fall and I think that's really comforting also I think um, for those individuals who enjoy learning it's a really good um, place to I suppose embed yourself and there's lots of support within the education system lots of people are understanding to disability because we all come from all walks of life and I think that for me um, makes me feel really comfortable working in education. Whereas in maybe the corporate world, people aren't really so understanding to um, to the quirks. So yeah, I really do think that more people with um, ASD should kind of get involved.
1: To be quite honest with you, I hadn't really sort of thought about that, that the kind of structure of the day in the six weeks and, 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 and what you mentioned. I, uh, I hadn't really thought about it like that. It, it, it's been—it's actually been 15 years this year since I left education. So, yeah, yeah, I've actually forgotten that. I've actually forgotten these kinds of things. But now that you mention it, it—it it, it, is—it is very structured, isn't it? So it wouldn't be—it um, would actually be a good environment for people with autism, Asperger's, learning difficulties, or disabilities.
3: Yeah, to go into. exactly. And I you know what you're doing as well. I think there's that hmm. sense of direction, yes. um, which is nice. Sometimes in offices, it's a bit all kind of unexpected.
1: Yeah, you have um, to plan your own routine.
3: Yeah, and I really did struggle. When I came out of education, I really did struggle um, to cope within the working world. I found it so overwhelming. I wasn't sure where I was going, and then I just kept falling into working in schools. And I think within the school system, I kind of found some comfort because it kind of reminded me of something that I was used to in in my childhood, even though my school experience was awful, actually. I had a horrible school experience, really. I shouldn't be working in education, but I think that desire to make sure that no other person or child with autism has the same experience as I did at school is something that really drives me
1: yeah I mean I I didn't have the the easiest ride in in education either but you know now I think of it I am beginning to see why certain job coaches would encourage me to find work at schools um, Mm. because there is that structure to it yeah I had not really thought about it (laughs) I think if we covered everything then um, I think we'll try and bring the conversation to an, an end unless there's anything that we've forgotten
3: no, that sounds perfect. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to interview me. It's um, a, a real honour. It's very kind of you.
1: It's, 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 um it's, it's all, And thank you as well for taking time out to, to speak to me as well, absolute pleasure as well. We would like to thank both PJ and Emily for taking time out to speak with us on this episode. And now we're just going to talk about uh, some of the things that we, uh, we talked about with them and do an analysis. Uh, Alex would you like to go first?
0: Yeah sure Um, my interview with PJ PJ went really well so I'd like to thank PJ again for taking the time out um, to speak with me. I know that your schedule is really busy so yeah um, thank you again. Um, PJ they have a diagnosis of ADHD but um, they are self-diagnosed as having autism. Um, PJ decided that they wanted to be a paramedic at the age of 25 because They didn't really know that um, going into um, paramedic medicine was really an option for them, Um, but they said they have gone through the traditional uh, United States college route. And they said that it's completely different. Like the structure is different and um, to practice paramedic medicine is obviously gonna be very, very intense and very um, high pressured. But PJ said that they thrive in that kind of environment. And um, like, interestingly they said they struggle with multitasking outside of work and in their personal lives but they thrive with multitasking at work because it's a kind of different mindset and um but they said that um in the United States in the um for adults with learned disabilities or autism or other neurological um conditions that there isn't really much support for people with um with, um, with their different learning styles and different needs, um, because it's just very, very different as it is to over here. Um, but luckily they did have one um, teacher that did allow them to work at the pace that they needed. Um, because of PJ's ADHD diagnosis, they, um, the pace is very, very fast. And, um, but a lot of the other um, university lecturers and teachers said that they had to like slow down for the rest of the class and work at the pace that the class was working at. But luckily this one teacher allowed PJ to work at the pace that they needed. And obviously we talked about Temple Grandin's theory and um, what PJ's thoughts are on Temple Grandin's theory. And they said, because the um, paper was published 21 years ago, we don't really know whether Temple Grandin's views are the same. And because Temple Grandin has some like stereotypical autistic traits that they are projecting their autistic traits onto the general autistic um, population so basically just because she has certain traits and certain jobs that are suitable for her she thinks that the whole j- autistic jo- population will have the same traits and you know um strengths that she has which isn't the case um, which I agreed with um, PJ about that, you know, and also you and I have talked about this, Martin, that because, because, you know, those are very stereotypical, very um, old fashioned views about the jobs that um, Temple listed in her paper. And yeah, and also PJ mentioned that with her job, she's learned how to mask um, when she's at work, which I, that she, and we talked about women and masking who have autism. That is very common for women um, to mask when they're in social situations. And um, yeah, that was the base of our um, the base of our interview, really. It went really well, and I learned quite a lot about PJ. Um, yeah, what about with your interview with Emily? How did it go?
1: We didn't really talk about Temple Grandin as such. We just mainly ended up talking about her experience in education. We just ended up talking about her background, you know, how she went to become a teacher, and the kind of skills that people would need and... Yeah, Emily uh, enjo- enjoyed communicating with with young people. Uh, she has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned that, but she used to enjoy talking to young people and uh, she's a very, very active individual mm-hmm. and, and thrives on interaction. And she said, I, you know, you have to have a, a passion for the thing that you want to do. In, in this case, it was talking to young people, interacting with young people, education, you know, learning... And just being having a bit of a uh, centrical approach because one method of teaching for one person or for one class might not be the same for the for another person or another class, and sometimes she would be asked to cover uh, for another teacher. So you have to sort of think on your your feet a little bit, and you know being open to learning about disability and supporting the students, you know, sort of learn about an individual and what they're like and the, the, the disability. And so it, it enables you to help that individual and get the best possible future for that individual. Mm-hmm. But the thing that she mentioned towards the end of the interview, which I admittedly had never thought about, was how education was perfect. For people with autism, Asperger's, load difficulties, because there's a set structure to the day. Yeah. Which I'd never really thought about. Yeah. You because know, it's, as I said, it's been 15 years since I was last in education. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you think about it, you got, you know, class one, break time, class two, class three, or, or whatever it is. I mean, some schools, some schools do it differently. And I, I just never thought about it like that. that's true
0: that is really really interesting like that you know that um Emily mentioned this to you it's a very very structured um profession yeah when I worked at Park House like I had a um a timetable which was kindly created for me by Pippa thanks Pippa if you're listening to this (laughs) I did like for the first few months I did um follow the um timetable like religiously but then like over time as I got more comfortable I did follow it but sometimes like you know, the timetable would, wouldn't always work out, for example, if I had to, like, cover reception, like, you know, if someone, like, you know, if one of the school receptionists, administrators was sick and I was asked to cover reception for the afternoon rather than, like, work with the teachers, or example. So, yeah, even though working in a school is very routine and structured based, sometimes it can, like, not always be structured for, like I said, like, maybe emergency meetings or emergency cover yeah. or something like that. But yeah, like overall, like you said, it is a very structured and routine based um, like profession. And yeah, it sounds like, you know, Emily really enjoys her job.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: There's a lot of people with autism that thrive in like maths and like STEM subjects like Temple Grandin likes to think that we all want to go into like, you know, accounting or like engineering or something, which isn't the case. Like, you know, you and I have discussed like we both dislike maths, like we thrive. On like um, yeah the social sciences and like the creative arts and things like that. Yeah. So it, I, this uh, this episode is trying to debunk those myths.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did I did work uh, in a, in accounts for just close to four years, um, but I do have to admit a lot of the 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 software was kind of doing all the working out for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: exactly. I only had to I just had to alter things like VAT in case there were items on the invoice that. VAT exempt.
0: Yeah it sounds like um, both PJ and Emily debunk the myths that um, when it comes to like Temple Grandin's theory that um, you need a kind of like behind the scenes kind of job like accounting like we said or like engineering um, and other jobs like that but like they've basically proved that both their jobs require a lot of person-centered interaction, they're both helping people, they're both helping you know children, they're both helping people Obviously, in emergency situations, you know, people that are sick and people that have been in accidents. Yes, and which it, it just requires a lot of communication, a lot of empathy, and you know, this is why Temple Grandin's theory is not valid for the whole of you know for the every single autistic person.
1: Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's right. I mean, the, you can work in these other fields if you so want to. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, don't don't let these things stop you or hold you back from. Whatever it is that you might want to try,
0: mm-hmm. exactly. Like you know, if if someone read Temple Grandin's paper, who was the young person with autism, and they really want to become a nurse or something, and they read you know her paper, and they're like oh, I, I can't be a nurse because I. it says here I need to be an engineer or I need to be an accountant or I need to, I don't know, work in political science or something like that. Whereas, you know, yeah. they want to be a nurse and, you know, they've got the traits to, qualities to be a nurse, we'll put them off. So yeah, I th- it, would re- it would be really interesting if Temple did like write a follow-up, like um PJ said, to see what her thoughts are now, whether her like thoughts and ideas have changed now that there's been more research into autism and that it is a spectrum for a reason. You know, not everyone has to fit
1: every single great uh thank you all very much for listening once again and hopefully we'll see you next time
0: thank you um pj and um, emily and thank you for everyone for listening and we'll see you on our next episode